Welcome to Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC podcast by the University of Minnesota Extension, where we talk with people about exploring, making discoveries, and solving problems to better manage our natural resources, and we share ideas to help you learn more and get involved. This is an older episode from when we used a different title, The Naturalist, but the conversation and ideas are still fresh. If you enjoy it, we hope you'll subscribe and listen to more episodes of Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC. Hey everyone, welcome to the Naturalist Podcast by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm Nate Meyer, your host today, and we are going to be talking with Kevin Erman Solberg and Kate Derrickson from the University of Minnesota's Department of Geography, Environment, and Society about their work to make visible and collaborate with urban communities to address root causes of environment and equity challenges. This episode is part two of two podcast episodes covering my conversation with Kevin and Kate. In this episode, we'll talk with Kate about the CREATE initiative. We'll also share some ideas about where you can learn more and get involved. And if you haven't heard it already, I encourage you to visit z.umn.edu forward slash ETC podcast to listen to my conversation with Kevin. Please stay tuned to the end of the episode as well for a quick announcement about our Minnesota Master Naturalist Program Annual Giving Event. So let's dig into the conversation. I asked Kevin and Kate to talk about their background and roles with the University of Minnesota's Department of Geography, Environment, and Society. Here's Kate talking about the department and her role as a geographer. I am an associate professor, and as you mentioned, it's titled the Department of Geography, Environment, and Society, and that is meant to signal that geography isn't just about making maps. We don't just make maps and we don't just identify where things are, but we do think a lot about where things happen and why they happen there. And so in our department, we have people ranging from what you would consider probably to be an anthropologist or a sociologist to people doing climate studies with using tree rings to people um, using remote sensing data to think about environmental change in sub-Saharan Africa. And we also have a department of urban studies or a program in urban studies that I also direct. The name Geography, Environment, and Society really gets at the heart of the way we're trying to think synthetically about these really urgent questions, both that face our society and that have environmental dimensions. In the conversation with Kevin, we talked about how their relationships between systemic racism and ecology and urban environments that exacerbate social inequity, prejudice, and environmental challenges. There is also an increasing interest in community-centered approaches to understanding and managing these issues. Kate described how the CREATE initiative is helping university faculty and students work with communities to identify their important questions and conduct research about their built and natural environments to manage their challenges. 
Um, so CREATE was founded a couple of years ago as part of the University of Minnesota's Grand Challenges Initiative. And the Grand Challenges Initiative was very much about fostering interdisciplinary, collaborative, kind of experimental research. And I had been working with my co-director, Bonnie Keeler, and she and I have been thinking for a while about how to mobilize the resources of the research university to ask and answer different kinds of questions and related how to train students to uh, be prepared to ask and answer different kinds of questions in ways that were more applicable to the and more effectively made to the measure of the urgency of the problems that we're facing. You know, and I could just brag for a few minutes about Bonnie Keeler, but she's an incredible scientist and an incredible uh, environmental policy expert. And she was like, I have all this, you know, experience and I have all these tools in my toolkit and I keep being um, invited into opportunities to share them for the same group of actors or apply them to the questions that the same group of actors, government and huge NGOs have. And I would like to use this toolkit to ask and answer questions that historically black neighborhoods in the American Southeast have, or that people in North Minneapolis or have, or people along the Mississippi River Corridor have. And so that was the kind of impetus for our original collaboration, because my own work has long been about how we ethically and effectively collaborate with historically marginalized communities. And so with that kind of long-term collaboration and uh, experience with trying to think ethically and collaboratively that brought Bonnie and I together. And it was really fulfilling to go down to West Atlanta where I had done work for quite a while and worked closely with this organization called the West Atlanta Watershed Alliance. They gave Bonnie a, a tour of their community and she was able to see firsthand how racist environmental management is essentially, you know, and really just kind of see, it, it was really an incredible experience for me and for her because I was able to see through her eyes something that was, as an urban geographer, was very familiar to me. And it wasn't that she didn't know that there were kind of racist outcomes, but to be able to think as an environmental scientist about the urban environment and what explains the degree to which this neighborhood floods, the fact that it's the historically black neighborhoods in Atlanta that flood the most, the way that this impacts property values, the way that this impacts health, the way that this impacts all different measures of quality of life was just a really powerful experience. And then we thought, okay, well, we should be creating this opportunity for students as well, you know. Um, and so we developed the CREATE initiative, and it has a graduate training component and a collaborative research component. So we have a policy think tank, and they develop research questions, problems, curiosities, and then our graduate students from across the university have a training course on collaborative, engaged research, and then they spend a summer conducting this research with and for the policy, members of the policy think tank. Um, and so we just finished up our, we're just now finishing up our second cohort of graduate students. Kate also talked about why working on the CREATE initiative is rewarding and how intersections with the Mapping Prejudice Project are exciting for her. I love how easy it is to do things that are valuable and helpful to our collaborators, to our non-academic collaborators. 
I have spent a lot of time making this really complicated, and it certainly is really complicated. We can get really, really paralyzed by that, and I have found that the only thing that cuts through that is genuine human personal relationships. Honestly, like, in some cases, I have, like, not just friendships with my collaborators, but I I feel like they're family. I mean, I've been working with Queen Quet, the chief distant head of state of the Gullah Geechee Nation, for 10 years. She knows my children. She knows my husband. And once you have, like, a real, genuine, personal, human connection, a lot of that stuff falls away. I hope this is making sense because I'm not trying to minimize the importance of the challenges that we face, but I am most fulfilled by the way that our genuine human relationships can overcome. I don't want to say background or minimize or anything like that, but they can overcome them such that we have been able to produce research at CREATE that is in this complicated place because it is extremely valuable. I can say with confidence what we have produced is extremely valuable to our collaborators. And it's just not that interesting to my, a lot of my colleagues, you know? And so an example of this is that a collaborator of mine and a representative to the Gullah Geechee Nation, a woman named Glenda Simmons-Jenkins, who I've worked with for many years now, noticed that there were these ponds appearing in her backyard and in her community's backyard, and she just didn't know what they were. They, she didn't know what they were doing there, why they were there, what impact they were going to have on her community, on their health, on their property value, anything. And I am very fulfilled by the fact that she was able to get in touch with us and ask us what it was. And we were able to say, okay, these are stormwater retention ponds. And then we did four years of research about where are the stormwater retention ponds in Nassau County? Why is Nassau County taking this approach to stormwater management? What will the impact potentially be on health, property value, well-being, uh, pests, things like that? And there's just it's not there's not a lot of uh, exciting geographical findings to communicate to the discipline of geography about that, but it's so helpful and valuable to our collaborators in Nassau County, and it's kind of crazy how simple that is. I get, I am very fulfilled by the fact that she has a place to go and ask those questions, someone that she trusts, and that then her curiosities and concerns can be taken seriously by the research university apparatus. Another thing I find really exciting about the work that CREATE and Mapping Prejudice are doing together is it's about this particular moment that we find ourselves in and the hunger that people who are new to these conversations around structural racism have and the curiosity and the kind of openness to new understandings of why the world is the way that it is and why the United States and our cities are the way that they are. And this incredible work that Mapping Prejudice has done to invite people into an understanding of structural racism that my entire career, I've been spending entire semesters teaching people about. And I am very excited about the way that that work is now in conversation with the history of the natural environment in Minneapolis as well. And the way we are on the cusp at CREATE of putting together some findings on the way that the park system interacted and its development interacted with racially restrictive covenants. In other words, to be able to say, like, there is a history in Minneapolis of developing parks in concert with racially exclusionary property dynamics. 
and people seem ready to hear that in a way that I don't know that five, ten years ago they were quite ready to hear that. And from an environmental perspective, I'm very excited about an emerging understanding that I hope CREATE is contributing to, that I know Mapping Prejudice has contributed to, of understanding how this environment hasn't been created for everybody and it's been created at the expense of some people and really grappling with that legacy so that when we plan our futures, we can both undo and not reproduce those dynamics. In the first episode, we learned about how mapping prejudice can use your help to keep identifying and locating racial covenants. Kate described a toolkit that you can download from the CREATE initiative to learn about options and then work with your local leaders to make investments in parks and green infrastructure that do not risk displacing and disenfranchising indigenous communities, communities of color, and low-income and working-class communities. One of the research products that we created at CREATE that I am most proud of is called the Sharing, it's a report called Sharing in the Benefits of a Greening City. And the goal of this, the the purpose of the the report, or the impetus for the report came out of feedback that we got from our policy think tank that said, you know, number one priority for them is investment without displacement. So there is this perverse dynamic in historically marginalized and disinvested communities where Uh, folks feel um, uncomfortable advocating for new improvements to their community because they're concerned that they'll be displaced as a result of, you know, if you get a nice new park or new greenway or all of a sudden it's quicker to get downtown, then your rents are going to go up or your property value is going to go up and you might get displaced. And that dynamic is something that I think really huge concern and priority for our collaborators. So how do we foster investment without displacement? And so we endeavored to answer the question, how have community groups advocated for policies that would promote investment without displacement? And we put together what we were casually calling an anti-green gentrification toolkit, which now is sharing in the benefits of a greening city. And if you go into our website, you can access the whole report. And what it is, I hope, useful for is people who are advocating for greening cities and want to make sure they're doing it in ways that promote inclusion and do not result in displacement. And there's a whole range of policy tools that you can find there. And there's some kind of worksheets that you can check off and worksheets you can check out and sort of figure out what's going on with your project. Um, And so it's not a way to get involved and create so much, but it is a way to bring the work and the ethos of the work that we've been doing into your own organization. We have found so far that it's a valuable framework for situating what we all want, which is a green and healthy city, um, in this kind of anti-racist, historically informed uh, approach. At the end of our conversation, I asked Kevin and Kate to draw on their work to share a brief message that they wish would really take off. Kate talked about the fundamental power of pausing to ask why we choose to work on certain research questions. So for, for me, the thing that I always think when I'm sitting in conferences is I wish everybody would ask, where do we get our science questions from? That, I don't know if that could be like a hashtag, but if 
tweet that I want to tweet all the time uh, in response to a whole variety of things. Where do we get our science questions from? There is an endless universe of things that we don't know and things that we could study. And I would love to see um, people with the enormous skills and talent and experience and expertise and resources that are in our university or in universities to think more about what questions they're asking and why. And I think that if we just sit with that question, our you know, we would fundamentally change our disciplines and our universities. It's not an anti-science question. It's not an anti-intellectual question. I believe in the value research to address the urgent you know, issues we're all facing. But why are we doing it and what are we asking and to what end? I think there's just an enormous untapped reservoir of potential in sitting with that question more than we already do. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Naturalist. Huge thanks for listening to Kate in this part two of our two-part podcast series. Visit create.umn.edu to learn more about the CREATE initiative, download the toolkit, peruse blog posts, and subscribe to the project newsletter. This podcast was recorded over Zoom from our homes during the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. We hope you enjoyed the opportunity for some advanced training during your daily walk, while gardening, or while sitting at your desk. Give us a thumbs up or drop a comment to let us know you value the podcast. Pass it along to others. We look forward to sharing another episode soon. In the meantime, we hope you stay safe, be healthy, and we hope you enjoy nature in place. Hey, I have a final special note to share this week. Did you know the Minnesota Master Naturalist Volunteer Program has just turned 15 years old last month? For 15 years, we've been connecting our mighty team of volunteers to local natural resources education, service, and community science across Minnesota. We are celebrating this milestone for the next two months through November 26th. If you'd like to help us celebrate, we invite you to make a gift to support a program that you love. Donors provide scholarships for new volunteers to invite expert speakers expand our National Public Lands Day events, and explore new ways to get people outside. Whether you have been with us for 15 years, or if you are just starting, we look forward to celebrating this milestone with you. To make a gift online, visit z.umn.edu forward slash mnatgive. That is capital M, capital N, at give. Mm-hmm.